Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life, get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck, for God's sakes. Everybody yeah. just cease dying immediately. Just <laughs> ammonia inhalers, you know? Oh, Wake yeah. them up. Can I, can I just tell you? Since Mike died, I keep feeling my liver all the time. Like thinking, yeah. oh my God, I got a tumor too. Oh my God. Oh my God. I, went, I wonder if I that's the a doctor thing. I got all the blood work last week, like 15 tubes. I go, do everything. My toes, my liver, my kidneys, do it all. Test That everything. voice without introduction is the great Wiley. <laughs> Who's yeah, our guest there. tonight. <laughs> so this was a healthcare show and a rehab show. And then it turned into a rock and roll show, I guess. Our tonight's guest is Wiley, the man who's been around. <laughs> He's been around show business. He's been around show business since he was 15 years old. I've known him. He is one of the greatest production managers of all time in the history of rock and roll. He runs the Sahara Tent at Coachella for his 23rd year coming up. Wiley. Hello, Wiley. <laughs> you doing, and, he knew Mike, and he knew Mike Martz for 40 years. You know, I tell you, I've had a lot of people in, in, on my diet, and there's a lot of people that we know, you know, in the 90s, you know, people dying, and, you know, Mike just, you know, it, it's much. You know, I'm happy he got to come up to the Greek to see Van Morrison. I was really happy he came up there. And I got him to stand like right on the side of the stage. You know, nobody in the band wears ear monitors. It's like they had a wedge that was turned on the whole time. The whole the whole show mixed in one wedge, and Mike was just standing right next to it. Like to, he could, the wedge was to the left of him, so you could hear the whole show. Van Morrison's like seven feet away from him, and he was just you know he's sitting there enjoying it. Then I went to check on him. He's like, oh, I gotta get, I gotta get out of here. I gotta go. I go. Mike always has like. He's always ready to go. Oh, he has a he always, when he's doing something he wants to do, he always had a plan to go do something else. I'm like, dude, <laughs> you're not leaving. You're always, be how about what's what's happened with him is all these people he had relationships with have come out of the woodwork. Like I thought I was his best friend. Now it turns out like he's got like 17 best friends. It's the craziest <laughs> thing. How many no, Chuck, really, how many relationships he had? that other people, other relationships he had didn't know. And now through his death, people are connecting the dots. Like, oh my God. No, it's, like, it's I, huge. It, it's it's huge. weird, yeah. the web that Mike Mart was. He was a mysterious guy. Very mysterious in certain ways. I got I got walked up on a bunch of times at uh, TSOL this last weekend, people just saying, hey, man, we're, I'm going to miss Mike. Not, you know, they, they weren't claiming anything other than they were feeling something and had to say it, you know, and just like the, there were a ton of people there because um, it was a big show, you know, there were just a bunch of people and there was a lot of, there was a lot of talk about, please take care of yourself too. You know, it's just like it, you know, and maybe if you have Kaiser or something's going on, man, don't wait four to six months. If you have hepatitis C, you think you can get HIV and hepatitis C treated for free through the government. Because not if you make $150,000, you can't. Yeah, well, most a lot of people don't. I mean, I don't. I work in treatment. You want to see my paychecks? No, but <laughs> but you know, and that's that thing that they plan on. 
that that I make a good living for whatever reason. And but I also have, you know, six dependents, right? So six people are living off 150 grand. Like nobody right. takes into consideration that. Like, and if you drive like 2019 car, then you're rich or something. I'm not rich and I can't afford Harvoni and I don't get it for free. Mm. Right now right. I'm hoping, I'm hoping I can't even pay for the blood work to find out if that, if that Harvoni treatment that I did worked, they won't authorize it. So what happened with me was I thought about Harvoni. I didn't get it. Since I was making such a stink online about it, people started sending me their Harvoni. And I took 76 days worth of Harvoni. And then I ran out, right? And so then I went back when I had Kaiser Insurance a couple of years ago. And I said, hey, you know, I did a Harvoni treatment. And they said, really? Well, uh, you didn't get it through us. And I was like, I know. I got it in, in, uh, privately. And they said, how did, you get it? how did you get it <laughs> privately? And they wouldn't <laughs> authorize the blood work. I had to pay for it. And it was, you know, like $580 or something. And I just didn't have, I'm not, I don't, you know, I'm not going to pay $580 to get blood work done. But this is the healthcare in America. People are dying because of it. I know they are. They're dying because they're yeah. not getting authorized for treatment. They're dying because they're not, it takes four months to get from when they see a spot on your liver till they actually really determine it's a cancerous tumor. It's, people are dying in America because of this shitty healthcare system. And well, when the blue team is going to admit that, I will never know. I, it's just amazing that the blue team accepts this as fine healthcare system. Well, maybe since they're pulling the money out of treatment, and not giving people the, the kind of coverage they used to. Maybe they'll have money for people with cancer, for people with tumors, <laughs> for pe because I, you know how much Do money they were throwing away. you hear what we're away. talking about? We're talking about a for-profit healthcare system. Yeah, I do. Wow. It's I, fucked I'm, up. So, so anyways, so Mike had this. I'm starting to realize he had this had this web of friendships, right? That that you really don't know. So Martine calls me and, you know, I've been working on Pete and I'll, we'll make an announcement about the memorial in a minute, but I'm working on Pete. Please let's play, you know, at the memorial. Right. And Pete finally said, okay, let's do it. And, um, and so then I just assume Martine's going to play bass. I, I, you know, I didn't, but I didn't talk to him. We're playing phone tag. Then finally I get a hold of Martine and he says, how come nobody's called me? And I was like, no, I called you. Like, I just was trying to convince Pete to play because I didn't want to play. It was going to be hard to do the longest monster without Pete Weiss. He is the sound of it. So, so I said, well, yeah, we but, we're play but we're playing, too. but we're playing. He's the boss too. And he named it. And he said I was going to be the singer. So he's instrumental to the whole thing. But so Martine says, well, how come nobody's called me? And I said, I'm calling, I ca I'm calling you. You're going to play bass in Thelonious. And he goes, no, but I'm Mike's bass player. And I was like, what? And he goes, I played bass on this album that everybody talks about. <laughs> and I didn't even know that. I didn't even know Martine and Mike were still 
playing music together. Mike's so tight-lipped about things. Yes, he is tight-lipped about everything. About who and where and why. You never know, like what Wiley was talking about. You know, they're at this, he's at this show, he's doing this thing. But wherever he went after that, he probably didn't just say I was at Van Morrison with Wiley. He probably yeah, he didn't. Said, oh, hey. he definitely didn't say that. He definitely didn't say that. Nope. You know, so nobody knows where he's coming from what or where that? he's going to. What he just that? shows up at places. You're a psychologist. What is that? What is that? <laughs> well, you're better than a psychologist. What is that though that keeps secrets? It's kind of secretive, right? Maybe he didn't want to come off as braggadocio. You know, he he he. he, he, he because I tell him any any show I've gone to where Wiley's been a part of it, I've gone. It was super rad, and I post a bunch of pictures, and and you know, and it was like it was this and that. But Mike would go and do something, and just kind of slip out. Except for at the end, he started going, "Hey man, would you take some pictures?" And that's when I knew it was getting serious. That's, well, that's what Mike take- said. Mike said to me, because I, you know, I thought when he was in the hospital two times, I was like, you know, are we going to talk about this on the podcast? You know, he and I just talked on the phone. Oh, no, 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 you you know, no. And I was like, Mike, it's like we're keeping a secret. I feel like we're keeping a secret that you're sick. And he said, well, you know, everybody's different. And I just don't want to talk about it. And I said, "Okay." And he goes, you know, when you're dying, this is the first time he used the word dying, Chuck. When you're dying, you're going to tell everybody. (laughs) You might even get back on Instagram for that one. <laughs> you fucking goddamn right I am. What are you talking about? Yeah. I want to say celebra- goodbye to everybody. Let's I want to celebrate fucking, me while I'm I alive. I want to fucking yeah. have some, I want to have deep conversations with people. Right. A- anyways, it was just so weird. And, the, and it's starting to be known. Like there's all these layers of what you know and what you don't know about Mike. But the Martine played bass on that magnificent album. I didn't even know that. They're two of my best friends. How could I not know that Martin played on Across the Pond? Because you didn't ask? <laughs> would, I, would I have gotten an answer? I don't know. <laughs> so, Wiley, still... let's go back to the first time you met Mike Mart. How old were you? 15, 16? How old were you when you met me? 15, 16? 17 or something, you know, we're in the 80 in the early 80s, you know, like 81, 82 or something, you know, around that around that time. And how old how old were you? You seem like a little kid to me. I didn't understand how you could be in the zero one. You were a little kid. Well, I mean, I got him because you know, I, I used to I, mean, I used to paint the walls in there after every art exhibit for for John and for uh you know the artists. I they, how old how old were you? I was probably with the first. Well, the first zero was on on Coanga. I know Coanga. Yeah, because it was Coanga. Then, then, then uh, Wilcox and Hollywood. And then the Vine Street down, down. Yeah, there, there. the Vine I, Street. The Vine Street's the one I was locked in the bathroom with Niles Rogers and the New Order people. I was there the night Niles Rogers. He had better blow than I did. Yeah, he had great cocaine. That guy. <laughs> Holy God, that guy knows. And then, and doesn't Sheik sound like it's the music of cocaine, isn't it? Like, <laughs> like that guy it has fits. the best cocaine in the world, and his music sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, it he, sounds like, but it sounds like he was snorting it, not smoking it. 
Yeah, no, we're snorting it. I was a snorter. Yeah. I'm social. Uh, okay. I'm a normal yeah, no. person. But there's a difference between a snorting smell and a crackhead sm sound. You know, there's, there's, <laughs> there's, there's different, different genres. But so how old were you, Wiley? Well, I guess well, what the first, what was the first zero? 81, 82? So it would have been. Hey, no, it's before that. Well, when did John Belushi die? Because one of the, like, 82. the first time I went there, John Belushi was there. Yeah, I, I went there when John Belushi was in there. It was just before the open. He's sitting on one of those trash cans. It was like a five-gallon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trash can they used to like run. He was sitting on top of that, and he was scooping out cocaine out of a huge Ziploc bag on his Amex card and putting it in John Holmes's nose. The porn star John Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is Wiley's childhood. <laughs> And the bag, you know, it was a huge Ziploc bag. It probably at least five ounces in there. It was just a, just a fucking, <laughs> just, I, I've yeah, never I, seen anybody. I saw him there. It's just so hard to believe, like, this world that, Chuck, that we were living in. You'd go there. John Belushi was there, and he had these big bodyguards, like, at this place where there was Top Jimmy and Tomato De Plenty and John Polkna and, like, Anthony and Plea with, cups on their jackets and like these tin uh, cups they put on their jackets on their, on their jackets and david lee roth i mean it was the yeah. weirdest combination of people in the world but what the commonality was cocaine methamphetamine and later on heroin yeah right yeah. but uh, so we still haven't got how old were you god damn it in 1982 no, I have to get a calculator out. So eighty, it would have probably been fifteen. He's 14 so you're born years six, old. So you're, you're born was in sixty-seven, like me. Let, yeah. 66. Let me tell you this: Was Wiley bound for AA or what? He's hanging out with John Belushi when he's fifteen years old. Yeah, death or AA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so. So that's when that's when I met Mike was around there at the Cash Club next door. Did you live at the Cash Club? Cash Riley? Club was, uh, was Janet Cunningham's, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think about her all the time. It, it was the Cash Club, Chuck. It was so the so right when you get off the freeway going south on the one on one on Coanga, there's an apartment building right there, a big, ugly 20s apartment building. And on the downstairs, there was stores like shoe stores and like shoe repairs and whatever. And one storefront was the zero one, this after hours club on weekends. And one was the Cash Club, which I don't even know what cash stood for. Um, but it was like, a drop-in center and, and Janet Cunningham who ran it, it was like an extras, like extras for movies, but you could live there. Like, uh, you know, who lived there, the guy from the actor from, uh, from, from apocalypse now what was his name. Um, and then he went on to have a, huh? I don't know which, which character you're thinking of Robert Duvall. No, the black guy, the the young kid. The, oh, um, then he went Lawrence on to have Fishburne. a big. Lawrence Fishburne lived there. Yeah. He was like a little kid, like Wiley too. Look up what year Lawrence Fishburne was born, Elijah. So he lived there, and like uh, Maggie Eric lived there. There was a lot of people, and they were all extras in movies. 
And it was like the weirdest thing, storefronts in Hollywood and a bunch of extras live in it. And you can just hang out and watch TV. Six right. Well, I so much work uh, from Janet. Like we would go, I remember a hundred of us went to go do that movie, the bodyguard with Whitney Houston and Kevin Costner at the Mayan downtown. <laughs> We're there for like two weeks. And we're getting paid cash at the end of the night. At the end of the night, like three hundred bucks. We'd all just go where you go, come back the next day. It was like she got us so much work. Is punk rock extras, rock and roll? I was an extra in a movie with um, Anthony Hall and Jenny Wright, and it was Susie and the Banshees played at the bounce. Stardust Ballroom, and I'm sitting on the stage. Right, you know who was an extra too? Pat Smear. If you yep. watch Raspberry Beret by Prince, Pat Smear is sitting on the drum riser. He's not a musician, Chuck. He's just an extra. <laughs> that was great with Susan Banshee for two it took him like three days to shoot that scene. We were all in there. It was it was it was great. That was great. That, that's yeah, a long tech, time. That's 88, tech, 86, right? 88? Uh, I don't know. I uh, Tex was there, I remember. Yep. And Extra work. So you got extra work and you had a place to stay. And the zero one was next door on the weekends. That's how Wiley spent his 15th year on earth. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Drinking that Schaefer. That was that Schaefer or Schaefer. Or, yeah. Schaefer beer. Or one time English Frank got cases and cases of the plain wrap blue label beer, or it was Meisterbrow, which is great. Oh. You could buy a case. For five dollars at, at, at the ranch market at Hollywood at Highland and Franklin, you know the old ranch market uh, or yeah. Maker. yeah, no, and that so that and so what were you thinking like what because I remember I came to Hollywood when I was like nineteen and I was confused as to what was going on. <laughs> were you not confused as to why yeah. the adults acted the way well, they I, did? I, I grew up around all of it. I grew, I, as you know, I grew up around all, a lot of stuff going on in my house at all times, you know, door never yeah. locked, you know, there's people call the latchkey kid. I don't know what the, like, I, I, my door was never locked. It was always open. So I don't know about the latchkey. You didn't need a key at the Wiley's house. No. So, You're so you and you would never. So why you would never come home and your mom wouldn't care? No, she wouldn't. She would, you know, no, not really. Imagine, imagine in this in this precious children world, like what would happen to her in the twenty first century? She'd be in prison. She'd be put the in fact, prison. The fact that if you're doing that, you probably weren't getting to school much. <laughs> And if if you weren't getting to school much or you weren't doing well, the parents would have been on the hook. It is it is a different world. And I mean, obviously you fared all right. A lot of people didn't end up as well as you did, but you right. also took accountability for yourself and changed things. But Mike I'd used to say that we raised Wiley. We mm -hmm. raised you, Wiley. You were raised by Texas Terry, Mike Mart, Bob Forrest, uh uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, Rick Van Satin. You were raised by a bunch of punk rock adults. I mean, I I first met uh, Texas Terry, aka now Texas T, when she first moved to L.A. Right? She she's at this house across the street from my house, down at Banner Banner and Vine, 
and she's there her first day. She's living at the at this building across the street, right? She moved in and she's hanging out. And I, I met her for the first time. And we're partying in this house. And the guy's last name, I can't remember his name, but his name, we called him Electric Lee because he would go, he did all the electrical work at Nana, all the electrical work at Silk Plant, uh, Wacko, all that crazy stuff. So he we're partying in this house and 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 Terry was for her first day in LA. And I, I, you know, we're all like, we're all getting high. We're all like, you know, shooting drugs, smoking weed, doing heroin and all this stuff. And I said, what would you like? Some, would you like some cocaine? Would you like some heroin? Would you like some value? She's like, <laughs> because, no, I, I just like your oh. first day in town. And you a know, kid yeah. asks you, what's your, what's your preference? What's your, what's your pleasure? <laughs> yeah. I mean, doors open and, and, you know, I remember for the first time I met her. So it ended up, she would come over and hang out with us. And then she ended up, leaving that apartment down across the street from where I lived and moved up to Malaga Castle. And, and, uh, you know, and, you know, that, that was, you know, I could check with her and see what year and date that was, but, you know, to know somebody that long and have that long, that long, you know, that long of a relationship in, you know, it's like, I didn't, I probably would have never got sober. Well, first of all, I would have never got sober if it wasn't for smog. The smog came back from being in rehab and, opened all of our eyes and we never shot and got high the same ever again. And he planted that seed. And you he, know, did, he did plant that seed when he was on, he was on a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I remember him going to rehab and being sober. And I wrote a song called nothing's perfect in 88. That's on stormy weather about that. Yeah. Smog smog going to rehab was a reverberating deal. But he didn't stay sober. So then I said, "Ah, oh, yeah, see, it's all bullshit. <laughs> we see what we want to see, Chuck. Well, of course. It's funny because you talk about that, like, like I remember any time I would mistakenly post something on Instagram or Facebook about the program, who would chime in is Chucky Weiss. Practice that 12 tradition, you know, practice that 12 tradition. That's what I loved about Chucky Weiss because he'd always be harping on people they talked about or uh, an anonymous program on social media you know right but, but you know i always learned that because if you tell somebody hey i'm i'm sober in aa so long and you go drink people are gonna go hey it doesn't work or in those days people didn't were 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 like hiding you know they don't want anybody to know they're going to meetings they don't want anybody to know they're going to basements of churches trying to trying to lick this thing that we have so you know so how did so when you, so you were sober in some weird orbit and i didn't really associate with you for many years i'd see you when i would go to aa right. trying to get sober but you were building your career at golden voice i think was mike a part of did mike like reach out was mike friends with you because you were already so well, i started setting up there i started helping roading for them setting up equipment which is easy i mean smog's base work is easy and mike marts put it a head and a guitar amp I got one guitar rock had an easy drum kit there you know it was all very simple you could fit all of that into a small vehicle and not fuck it up and he loaded it and set it up it was really simple <laughs> so you were you were road managing texan the horse heads no, uh, yeah but you're, you're, not, you're not mentioning the lead singer the lead singer in a car can be a dangerous situation <laughs> like I would go with Texacal. I would ride with her on the bus and go to certain shows and just hang out with her. Like I go pick her up. But one day it was neat. They played the music machine and I went and picked up uh, Texacal at the house where she lived with Pinky. And we walked down to the Santa Monica Boulevard, got on the bus, went straight down to Bundy, saw the Bundy, went down Bundy to Pico, walked down two blocks to the music machine, would hang out with her. And one time, Texan the horse says, played the music, uh, not the music machine, uh, 
the what's the place in, in Reseda? Uh, Wolf, uh, Country Club. Country Club. Country Club. Country Club. Ride the bus all the way out there with Texacali. You know, we would just hang out. I was like, I wanted, you know, I wanted, you know, we'd, we'd all the great out. clubs. So this is this is eighty four. You're talking about eighty five, right? Really? You're, it's it might have been early. played uh, lingerie or wherever they would have pl played one of their first shows. It might have been music machine music machines. I know Bogarts or or um um not Club eighty eight or or what's the other one? Um, well, remember there was there was one club in the valley. I forget. It had one name and then it got called FM Station, but it had a name before that. And then you could play in the valley. There was the Country Club. There was FM Station. There was the Palomino. And that right. was about it. And then in Long Beach, there was Bogarts, and not there was no Alex's bar. What about Celebrities? Fender's Ballroom, where you met my mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fender's with Golden Voice, right? And there was the Celebrity Theater, but you had to be kind of big to play there. We only yeah. opened for people there. I think we opened for Romeo Void there or something. Oh wow! Remember that band, Romeo Void? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> hey, they were big. Bill. <laughs> they were big. They were great. Yeah, yeah they Good were friend. big for a while, and suburban lawns were big. So yeah. Thelonious in '84 can literally play with anybody. We yeah, can play with friend, Motorhead, uh, and we can play with suburban lawns. That's burning sensations, right? Whatever happened to that band, Burning Sensations? Remember that that was like a hot video on MTV, like the band out of LA, Burning Sensations, have this video on MTV. Was that the thing? Belly of the Whale song? Yeah, yeah. The no, the Belly of the uh, is that Bernie, Belly of the Whale? Yeah, uh, or is House of Freaks Belly of the Whale? No, House of Freaks had well, House of Freaks a, House of Freaks had a song about bottom of the ocean or something. It was a really great song. And that was Wait. so sad what happened to that singer of House of Freaks. Did you hear about that? Oh my God, the worst story ever, ever in the history of music. He got, it's just, it's too horrible to even say, but Brian, I think his name was the singer and guitar player of House of Freaks who had a song called The Bottom of the Sea. Um, he was murdered with his wife and children by these two escaped convicts. Can you believe that? Yeah. It's just like, so yeah, we've been around a lot of death, but I haven't been around a death like Mike Mark. I, I haven't. That's affected, not affected me in a boo-hoo way. Like I've cried more for Joe Strummer. Um, I've, I've like, obviously when your parents die, it's a pretty profound experience. Um, but nothing like this day-to-day -day thing. I think about Mike every day, like three times a day. Like, it just did not boo-hoo he It's just like, can't believe he's fucking dead. I can't fucking believe it. A, a few months ago, he, he we had dinner. We went. He wanted to go see Neil Young at the Greek, so we went. And, which is which is like, a, it was crazy in itself. But me and Mike, he's like, where are we going? Where, where are we going to go eat? Why, why, where, I go park here, park there. Just don't listen, park in this... So I take him to the dressing dressing room on Vermont, and we go in the restaurant, and the lady asked us both to take our baseball caps off. off. So me and Mike took our hats <laughs> off. We're at the restaurant, and we're kind of just looking at each other, and I said, Mike, take your glasses off. Take my glasses off. So we're sitting there at, at Dresden and, you know, had dinner, and that was the first time he mentioned to me something was going on. And, you know, he, you know how Mike is very humble, like, 
I go, whatever you want, Mike, get whatever you want. He's like, oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm okay. I'm fine. Mike, get him the fucking T-bone, you know, put the bone in it. So Mike gets, you know, Mike orders that. Then I go, Mike, you want an appetizer? Nah, I'm fine. You want some, you want some mushrooms, like sauteed mushrooms? Yeah. Okay. All right. So the waiter brings this humongous <laughs> bowl of sauteed mushrooms over. Right? I go, I'll be right back. I can go to the restroom. I come back. The thing is empty. Like he just <laughs> like, a, like, a, like a fucking like a horse, you know. And he was so uh, gracious when he he would never leave a, a one thing left on the plate. And he was always so gracious. And you know, I made him walk. We walked from Dresden Room up the hill to the Greek. We stopped a few times, and Mike had to take a couple, you know, breaths of fresh air. I walked up and we walked back, and he was like, "Where are we going? Don't you have your parking spot?" I'm like. No, my uh, my parking spot actually at the, at the venue. Million Wait, for bus. those, there's a lot of people that live don't live in LA. You're talking about two blocks, Wiley, and it's downhill. So going no. from the no, Greek no, to the, the Dresden, the Dresden's on the corner of Hoover and fucking Los Feliz Boulevard. No, but to the Greek, that hill. I know going back would be uphill. I understand, but it's not that far. You're making it seem like you walk. You know, people in New York walk a lot, Wiley. <laughs> you know? well, it wasn't far for me. You know, Mike York. was like, you know, Mike's like, hey, what's going on? Where's it? Why aren't we parking in a parking spot? Why are we walking up the hill again? My parking spot is not available. Neil Young's bus is blocking my parking spot. That's why. That's why we're walking. Oh, that dick. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Wiley? You you said a name I haven't heard since I lived up in LA in like eighty six, eighty seven, and that was Pinky. Was that Pinky that was with Michael Lockwood? No, Pinky was the was the Pinky uh, was this girl. She dressed like it was eighteen forty. Yeah, oh, well, like, was, like a clown. She had, she'd have umbrellas and she'd have these skirts and this. Uh, she was just. She was, you can Google her. She's amazing. She was, she worked at the lingerie. I mean, the, the people who worked at the lingerie, can we just say yeah. like Pinky Tex, um, Brendan, Lori Patterson, the, the guy, what was the guy? The rockabilly guy. Oh, shit. Uh, uh, it was just the craziest place, and, and not it was Mustangs, uh, uh, not Hollywood Joe. Um, um, who was that? It wasn't Levi, it wasn't uh, Bernie, Bernie, Bernie Bernstein, right? No, not Bernie Bernstein. No, not Bernie, that, but Bernie, Rock, Bernie used to yeah. work, Rogers, he worked at uh, uh, Kathy DeGrand, he was a door guy, yeah. With the yeah, and then he worked at Laundry and then he worked at Rogers, but yeah. um, but so Chuck, just so you know, like Rogers was kind of like uh. It was kind of like the sleazy place and the lingerie was kind of like the cl cl classy place, but it wasn't as far apart as it seemed. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So as I hate to say it, but as the chili peppers became more of like a drawn LA, we got more accepted at the lingerie. Right. And so we had a club, Mike and Smog and Chris Bailey, the drummer of Fast Freddy and the Precisions, had a club called the Moose Club or some dumb thing, Water Buffaloes, uh, like the like the Flintstones thing, right? And they wouldn't, they like, we weren't club joiners, me, Flea Anthony, like just Pete Weiss. We're not going to ask to join. And you had to go through some sort of, thing like it was like a real club where you had to like oh yeah they, be a, they be would meet every once in a while they had to, you had to be approved of and me and anthony and Fleer are like fuck that we'll start our own club so we started the bud club 
and it was and it was we didn't really it was the denny brothers dicks and john denny leaving from fear anthony flea me and pete tree jk it was just our circle of friends like like 10 guys right and we get together on the roof of my house and we watch the a team which is our favorite tv show we'd watch the mm -hmm. a team outside on a tv and get drunk and the bud club was budweiser and bud oh yeah and keith was in it keith morris greg hudson and chuck biscuits right and oh, wow. uh and we'd watch the a team and we get drunk and the potheads would smoke pot and then we would go to the lingerie and hang out right and uh and that's when we thought we'd arrived like we got our own club our bands are starting to take off and and we could we can just walk into the club lingerie and they let us right in we have arrived like that's like the pinnacle of hollywood success wiley right like that that's about as high up as you can get you can just walk to the lingerie they see you they stop people from coming in and they let you in like that's that's all we ever wanted in life and now look what's happened <laughs> I wanted to ask where was where was Mike Martin? Was he in the? He was in the buffalo? water buffaloes. He was the. So the water buffaloes still they follow don't die and they 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 they, they do. Yeah, they post. And well, they, they, yeah, yeah. Well, they love Shout to wallow the in the back. And I've talked with Smog and Chris Bailey. We self destructed. Um, there was a, <laughs> the there was a, there was a violent kind of uh, strain of the Bud Club. Chuck Biscuits, Carlos Guitarlos, myself. Uh, violence could break out, and it became not that fun. Well, you know, why? Team, you, know? <laughs> you know why? No screening, no recommendations, and no grand poobah. No, no hazing. No hazing. No, no rules. There were no rules. And we made titles for every person that were like grandiose, like the ultimate uh, king god and and president of all things. And everybody had these grandiose titles because we were really making fun of the water buffaloes. And wow. they actually still exist to this day. And the Bud Club yeah. lasted about five months. Yeah, <laughs> That's, I all I ever got was a Robitussin nickname because we all did Robitussin all the time, and I was Robo Hobo because I, I see have a place these to live. kids. You know, there's this cool hipster sweatshirt that says "antisocial," anti-social, anti-anti-social club. Yeah, 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 yeah. So and? that's what the Bud Club was. Yeah. They don't. These people wearing these sweatshirts have no idea. You had. A collection of like 15 sociopathic, narcissistic, drunken, drug taking, antisocial people trying to form oh, a that group. Sounds Chuck, fun. Trying to <laughs> that sounds a, like a blast. <laughs> I'm surprised you lasted five months. I should have lasted five hours. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's like I saw I saw a picture on the internet of non-social dogs at the dog park and it's actual footage where the dogs just ignore each other. They all instead of greeting each other, they all turn their backs to each other and they they move <laughs> around but they don't talk to each other. That's what your club sounds like. <laughs> so the water buffaloes for 35 years have made it known that we failed as a club and they're still around and I'm sure a lot of them will be at the memorial. Now let's talk about the memorial. What is it? January 21st at yes. the observatory in Orange County. 
I'm announcing it here and now. I this is my, you know, I you know, much like the 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 don't die Wisconsin guys have taken the ball and run with it and lapped us 20 times. Uh, I, I we're going to probably get lapped with memorials too because I'm kind of partially in charge of it. And this is the only announcement I'm making. About Don't worry, it. Iris and Smog and uh, okay. a bunch okay. of people have have, have done I'm a Facebook. I'm not on social media. I thought about going back on in mem in memory of Mike, and I just like no, he liked that I wasn't on social media. So yeah, so here it is, October. Uh, Jan, why do I keep saying October? January twenty first. I think it's at four o'clock. Is that three, not correct? Three p.m. Three three o'clock to seven o'clock. It's the celebration of Mike Mart's words, music, life, and um, it's free to all the people who know and are within, you know, earshot of this, who love Mike, who love Texan Lorsets or or whatever, or Polonius. And I'm not going to, I'm just going to tell you, it's probably going to be the last time Polonius Monster ever plays. And it's going to be the only time that Texan the Horseheads ever play. So you're going to have as, as, as many original members left of both bands. Texas coming out. Texas and the Horseheads are playing. Thelonious Monsters playing. Mike's daughter's band is playing. And everybody has to see that because she's going to do one of her dad's songs. Amazing. And then we're going to have a little acoustic thing. Elijah and Johnny Two Bags and me and um, Xander are going to do. And then we're going to have people can get up and talk about Mike. And there is just one asterisk I wanted to say. Now, I'm guilty of it myself. Me and Mike were so fucked up. We were in New York City. We were in Washington, D.C. I mean, I've told the stories on this podcast for six years or whatever. But let's try to remember that his three young daughters are going to be there when you're telling a story about Mike. Um, I found myself kind of... I don't know, because I, I don't know if they're going to listen to this podcast at some point in their lives and whatever, and I don't... Yeah, getting fucked up was a part of our lives, but that wasn't what bonded me and Mike. What bonded me and Mike were songs, and Bob Dylan, and Woody Guthrie, and Blind Lemon Jefferson, and The Stooges, and Keith Richards. Though so he didn't like talking about Keith Richards that much, because I was always saying, we're like Jagger and Richards, and he was like, ah, uh, not really. <laughs> and I don't know if he was saying I'm not handsome like Mick Jagger or he didn't like the Keith Richards comparison but it was hard to not make a Keith Richards comparison on Mike Martin 1987 it was kind of hard wasn't it Wiley it was like uh, it, he reminded you of Keith Richards not just what he looked like but what he acted like he was like a pirate he really Mike Mart was a pirate and then what's yep. so funny is Keith Richards then goes on to be the inspiration for Jack Sparrow, who's a pirate. There, wasn't there <laughs> some sort of pirate component to the yeah. Texan and the Horseheads? Didn't they kind you of know, act like pirates? It, 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 no disrespect to Mr. Richards, but Mike Mark kind of lived the life that Keith represented. <laughs> well, anyways, you know? anytime, anytime I tried to, you know, because a lot of times we'd get compared to like exile on main street, which was so flattering or that kind of era, that kind of rock and rolly, whatever. Mike wouldn't like that. He didn't like talking about Keith Richards at all. Like he, you know what I mean? It, it was a weird, like complex he had. Yeah. 
Yeah, because he he didn't he wasn't he wasn't a braggart. He wasn't a braggart, you know, and he was just as happy, you know, playing in little places. Like I, I mean, I reconnected with him uh, best. Not I, I would see him at uh, the AA at his uh, studio, but it, at Vinyl Solution. He liked getting in there with people and just playing his guitar and singing songs. I'll tell you what he liked even more, just coming over to your house and playing a new song that he wrote. But those songs started to get less and less and fewer and farther in between, right? But at that time, when I am when I always say Mike Mart was the greatest guitar, greatest songwriter I knew for a period of time, um, he would just come over to my house and play me like three songs he was working on or had written in the last month. And they were all just masterpieces. And then they would just disappear as quickly as they would arrive and be a real song. And I would say, hey, let's play that song that you're playing. <clears throat> the one about Top Jimmy. And he would go, oh, no, I, no, that's no, you know, I don't like that. Oh. He would forget them. He would just, he would, he would write them, be excited about them, play them for everybody, play them over at Disgraceland, play them at my house, play them you know, during an acoustic part of Thelonious Monster. And then he would just forget about them. And if you brought them up, he would say, no, I don't like that song anymore. It was like this, he just write one after another, after another, after another. And I'm hoping, Elijah, that you found some of those on his computer. I, I went through and I'm not, I'm not finding any, or I'm not finding any recordings here. There was a cassette tape I heard you know, a about lot of a... these. A lot of these great. There was a cassette tape that J.K. had that was all the songs, a lot of the songs. But Hopefully that's still around. I heard about Gina... another one where somebody, somebody wants to keep it a secret. I don't know why, but that there's they got a cassette of 20, 20 songs of Mike. Rowe yeah, it's, it's amazing. Chuck, I'm telling heat. you, it's amazing how many songs he wrote in why, that era. Why wouldn't? Why wouldn't someone share that? They're trying to. They want know. to. Because they, but, they you know, got whatever disease Mike had. Like, he doesn't do... Oh, you keep calling it humble. I don't know that it's humble. I think it's some weird, psycho, weird thing. I'm trying to because get it all together. To and he's, he's I'm trying to get it all together as I can. And Klinghoffer is, is starting this reissue vinyl campaign. And we want to put these, these, you know, hard to find. Or, you know, basically, like you said, songs that nobody's ever even heard that he did. Well, so some that he doesn't even remember. Track that JK tape down. There's, there's some that he doesn't. We got to go through your tapes because you had a Zena. bunch of demos that he cut in the '90s on cassette when I was a kid. I remember. Yeah, well, one of them's the theme song to this podcast called "Look at This." Look at that house up there. That was a monster, That's, wasn't it? Yeah, but Mike wrote it. Mike plays guitar on it. But you had when I was a kid, there were demos from "In Between the Monster" and "Low and Sweet." That you had on cassette. We got to We got to really yeah. excavate. I don't get a hold of JK about those that tape. I know this one tape exists, but I know the names of the songs. One's called Top Jimmy. One's called um, uh, Gina the Snake Lady. One's called uh, Bobby Kennedy. That's other than Across the Pond. I mean, he wrote so many great songs. Across the Pond is the premier song. But then there's another one that's not a, not too many notches below that called Bobby Kennedy. And and he's never even recorded it, Chuck. His, his second best song he ever wrote, he never even recorded. Weren't we going over that Tex and the Horseheads never recorded their signature song? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Get this, <laughs> Chuck. Chuck, okay. so 
So I went back and looked. Ain't That Peculiar is not on any Tex and the Horseheads album. It's yeah. the song they closed with every time they played. Yeah. Wiley, remember that song, the version of, of uh, Marvin Gaye that Tex and the Horseheads always did? Yeah, I'd have to... Um, Ain't that peculiar, mom. Tex and the Horseheads <laughs> did it every time. And they didn't ever recorded it. This goes back, Chuck. It just wasn't a thing in 87, 88, 89, 90. This goes back to the actual, their greatest live song they never recorded. Huh. Even, remember, Smog thought they did. Well, <laughs> like, yeah, he uh, thought it was on a comp that, or a single, that? and it's not. <laughs> it's not. He's like, we did? Recorded. Oh, we did. <laughs> he never you guys, recorded it. You guys, you guys know about this? It was, it was but... Uh, uh, that was uh, Chuck. That was what was that the summer that uh, Smog played the Greek? Uh, was that Mavis Staple with Mavis yeah. Staple? And yeah. I think did you make that Chuck? You were there, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That was you know, I made a surprise to Smog that you know, we're gonna have all the old homeboys show up. Well, as I'm walking Smog out to surprise him, Smog turns around and says, You know, Wiley, Mike told me you're doing this. <laughs> oh, god, <laughs> yeah. He yeah. keeps all those secrets and he spoils that one. <laughs> yeah. The one time you're supposed to keep a secret, he doesn't. And How crazy is that? I said to Smog, I go, what is he, brain damage or something? Like, what? <laughs> and he goes, you know what? He goes, it would have been a surprise either way, right? If we, Even if I found out two days ago or just now, it's still going to be a surprise, right, Wiley? I'm like, don't stick up for him. You know, like, <laughs> that's right. You were you were pretty uh, hot that day. <laughs> you know, like, hey, oh, you know, you know, you gotta tell him we've been we're best friends. We've known each other for forty years. You know, one of Mike's like, you know, I'm sorry, I got you know, I got the you know the 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 cookie, you know, the, what do you call it, chocolate in my hands. You know, it's like sorry, you know, I'm like, it's just what you know. did um who did uh, so Mavis Staple and who played that show? Neil Young and and no. Ziggy Marley. And, oh, uh, and, and trombone shorty. Yeah. So was Mike March just going to the Greek all the time? Like what the hell? He started he started getting out a lot more in the last he wanted to come up and hang out. Yeah. yeah. I saw him at Disney. Like, come, I go, come I... hang out. Go, you could park early, go to catering, and it's like go to catering, it's good. Go sit down at catering, go go fucking get some coffee, go, you know, go run around, you know. It's like Chuck, Chuck, you remember when I was railing against adults that go to Disneyland? Yeah. It was kind of a joke that you didn't know. I had seen Mike Mart at Disneyland without his kids a couple of weeks before. Oh, no. No. <laughs> oh that, that sort of passive aggressive and, shit is, is classic. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I, I guess I was there yesterday. I got to accept that. It is a cool place to go on a date. It probably, it really is. I've never done that, but it's a cool place to take acid. I didn't. I've done That's that. for sure. That's for right? sure. Yeah. But um, I but, got to see. I saw Roy Orbison at Disneyland. I saw Sister Sledge in their prime, dude. They came the in Sunshine Band. I saw it at, at Disneyland. Oh, Casey and the Sunshine Band was playing on New Year's Eve. I was going to go, but then I um. Then I yeah, uh, changed my mind when I don't I know. Was so, I was so mad at Mike, I wanted to punch him, you know. And it was just like, you know, I was like, I was trying to keep this big surprise, a small and big secret. All the homies showing up, I was like working on it for you know, trying to. Get, I was trying to get you to come. Mike's like, he'll never come, you know. Meaning you, <laughs> oh, 
I'm going to say, because he's not going to come. I talked to him. Bob's not going to come. He's not going to drive away out here. I go, I'll fucking send an Uber Black to pick him up. And then the kids, <laughs> oh, God. He'll, get, he'll, he'll fucking hop the Uber Black. No, and I then, go there. I bugged you to go see Culture Club. You let me see Culture Club, and I appreciated that very much. How great is Boy George, by the way? I'm so sick of everyone ragging on Culture Club. They were one of the greatest bands of the yep. 80s, by yep. far. Yep. They really were. And I don't know why certain people just hate them. Like Keith just hates them. He just probably like, because is- you played it so much. You probably <laughs> Keith probably would have been a fan. <laughs> but you, you, you can't a- like them now <laughs> on general principle because they're your band. You they're, know, the, they're the best love story. I mean, Boy George wrote three records uh, about, about, about the drummer. No, Boy George wrote three records of sad songs about him and the drummer. How great is I that? I know, I know, yeah. but, but the but the drummer keeps claiming he's not gay. Oh, yeah. Still to this day, like you got to give up that ghost. You may yeah, not maybe, be completely gay, but you certainly had a love affair with Boy maybe George. Maybe he was only gay for George. <laughs> hey, I, I mean, if it were Brad Pitt knocking on my door, I might, you know. Dude, uh, yeah, but it's just like, and they're in the band together now. They he played drums at the Greek. Did like, write three amazing. records about him, Chuck. Well, one day, yeah, I, was, I don't, I don't know that. That remains to be seen. I was picking up Texacala one day at her house to go to some show in the early afternoon, and a limo pulls up, and she lived like, like I said, Tex lived with Pinky, and Pinky was going Boy George to the Grammys or American Music Awards at the Shrine or something. And Bo George pulled up in the limo. He's dressed like in boy drag. Of course, Pinky comes out all dressed up like her, like uh, like a China doll or however. I don't know what you call that makeup. Like, yeah, China, it was kabuki. It was very, kabuki, very geisha. kabuki makeup. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I remember, you know, it was funny because me and Texaco are going to walk down, get the bus to go, whatever show we're going to. And, you know, Pinky's coming out in the afternoon, and Boy George is in the limo. And he's dressed up in a tuxedo, no wig, you know, in boy drag, just not wearing any, any, uh, any, uh, you know, girls' makeup or you know, makeup. You know. So I want to so. ask you guys. I had to. I had to calm him down. He was. He was got a little. He was. He's a ruffian. I don't know. Like people don't know much about Boy George. George O'Dowd. His name is. He comes from the wrong side of the tracks in London. He got in a fist fight at Power Tools, this club that we had, and I had to escort him out. And he was. He kept saying to me, he was all fucked up on drugs and drunk. He kept saying to me, you know who I am, right? But he wasn't dressed as Boy George. And I said, yeah, I know. You just can't. Like, you got to get out of here. You got to get out of here. And we were across the street from <laughs> Park Plaza in the in the park. And he's like, I'm going back in. And I was like, no. Nah. Like, he got it. And I was telling his friend, like, you guys got to go, man. Like, because he, he, like, beat up two different guys. He's a tough guy. <laughs> Oh, well, yeah. You kind of have to be when you look around. like that. Yeah, you huh? know. <laughs> what? You, you kind of have to be when you look like that. You can't just ignore everything someone yeah. says, you know? Yeah. So eventually- but I mean, I'm saying underneath that, that like playful thing that he had was a real street urchin from London. <laughs> and I saw it in all its glory. But let me ask you this. So I'm, I, I'm, uh, soon we're going to, uh, I'm going to, well, I'm already, I'm going to do it now. So I'm involved in the creation of the first DNA test for addiction. And it's real. Do you, you know, Chuck, we tell everybody it's a genetic 
predisposition with childhood trauma and exposure and use in the face of adverse consequences is addiction. I remember the first time I heard the definition of addiction, I wanted a test to know whether I was genetically predisposed. Okay, yeah. I was pretty I was pretty sure that I was. But, you know, I come from like a haphazard background. I don't know who my dad is, my sister's my mom, like yeah, my grandfather was an alcoholic, but I want to know if I'm genetically predisposed. They never had a test. They still haven't. We have the first test ever. It's called DNA for addiction and it'll be a test that you can get and it's a spit test. You send it in. In a few weeks, you get your results, right? So genetic, that you have the genetic markers for addiction. Chuck, do you want to take that test? Do you want to know whether you are or not? Well, I, I know that if I wasn't born when I made myself one, but I would be interested to see the conclusion. You know, Okay, it Elijah, it do you change. want to, it would, does Elijah want to know? I don't need to waste my time. Okay, <laughs> Wiley, do you want to know? It's just, it's just spitting. And then it's for science. It's for what science. So, you know, so uh, Wiley, do I you think what know? we really, I know, I know I got it. So, so, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's I'm with Wiley. Okay. So <laughs> now I'm going to ask, we're it was a couple of parents here. Chuck, do you want to know whether your kids are or not? That's what the test is for. I know, I know. That's two what the test are. is for. <laughs> yeah, you know, two yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, you so, want to test the kids. So, do you want to know whether Bug is? Because here's the thing. You know, I'm a playful guy, even though I'm a cantankerous old grumpy guy. I have three little ones. I'm pretty sure I know the outcomes of the test. I just want to roll with it. I'm going <laughs> to test Sydney Iderson and Elvis, right? And I think I know. I think two of them are normal. Uh, now, this is a horrible thing. And I told the people that I'm developing it with and working on it with that I was going to test my kids. And I said, and I'm pretty sure my little one is full on fucking an addict like Idris is, right? <laughs> and he said, and the, guy, the guy's a non-addict scientist. And he said to me, what did you just say? And I said, well, I want to, as soon as we get the test, I want to test my three kids um, because I think I know that two of them are, but one of them is. And um, I just want to know. And he said, you believe that your two-year-old child is an addict? And I said, I don't just believe it. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> I know it in my balls. I, I, <laughs> I just watch him. Today, I swear to God, Lies, you know the red couch? It kind of hoops up and it's got a little back on the back of it. Yeah. He was, I, I was in my office. I don't know where everyone else was. And I heard him screaming and I went in the living room. He was standing on the back of the couch, standing straight up, Chuck on a two inch ledge of a couch laughing <laughs> laughing yeah what? yeah that two year olds don't do that but but you know uh, that's 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 more of a personality thing because i think it takes more than the genetic predisposition and it you know it, it could serve some good just as a warning just like if you have a genetic predisposition for cancer even though we're finding that it's more in habits and food and things than it is it's just like almost everybody that comes from Oklahoma, their whole family's riddled with cancer. And Maryland, uh, too. You know, so I, I think it's lifestyle, uh, diet, and stuff as much as anything else. But to know if you have a genetic predisposition and, and to just be aware, it wouldn't have kept me. If you told me I have, I'm, I'm genetically predisposed to be an alcoholic or an addict, I'd say, yeah, well, fuck you. And I'd prove 
I'd try to prove you wrong yep. the same way I did once I knew. Yeah, but here's what I think. And, and I, I just met for four hours with all of them yesterday in the wonderful city of Costa Mesa, by the way, where all great things come from. Um, so I believe that there's a huge part of the addict population that comes to treatment that are not addicts. And you know, I've been saying this for years, Chuck. Yeah. What if it proves that you can be exposed to hard narcotics like Oxycontin, fentanyl, um, and become an addict, but you don't have the genetic predisposition? What does that mean about addiction and addiction medicine, addiction science that we've been spitting out for 50 or 75 years? Because there's no doubt, to me, if some of the people that are on fentanyl that are in my rehab right now today, tonight are not addicts, they're worse than Bill Wilson. So what's the fucking difference? Bill Wilson wasn't going to die every day from his physical addiction to alcohol. These right. people are going to okay. die from it, and they might not be what is known as real alcoholics because they're not genetically predisposed. I believe right. that. And and what does it and what does it matter if we find out that there is no? But it if does we find matter that, because we can change our medical profession. Here's the okay. thing: the addiction population in America stayed static between five and ten percent for a hundred years. In 1996, that number starts to skyrocket. It is now thirty percent of the American public. How in thirty years has it gone from ten percent to thirty percent? We th that many genetically predisposed addicts can't have come out of the woodwork. The medical profession is is causing addiction in America. I believe that. Or maybe it's diagnosing so it can bill for profit healthcare. Well, that's a small percentage, go. the workers comp thing. No, we just are too free and loose with opioids. We're, we're five, 4.75% sure. of the world's population. Let me get this clear to you. 4.75% of the world's population. Chuck, are you ready for the percentage of world opiates we consume in America? 80%. 80% of all prescription opioids in the world are consumed by Americans who make up 4.75% of the world's population. You don't think well, the medical profession is causing this? You're fucking lying to yourselves. Well, if we can't hit 85% by the end of 2024, <laughs> then I've lost all faith in America. Oh, my God. Keep We're hope alive. Number one. Keep hope We're alive. Number We're number one. one. We're number one at so many things. Obesity, prescription drug use. Gun you know ownership. that we're, we're still 4.75% of the population. We consume 50% of the world's prescription drugs. This is not... Yeah. Go to the CDC website. This is not just Bob Forrest talking out his ass. This is insane how much medicine and opioids Americans take. And part of it is because we're such fucking babies. I swear to God, I hear it's just like, oh, I have a toothache. I need a, a fucking pill. Like, no, you have a toothache, idiot. You need to go to the dentist. <laughs> you need to go get your toothpicks. <laughs> you're sad. Your, you, you, you need, need to, to go, go outside, outside and get, get some sun. Yeah. Maybe, that's, maybe that's part of the barometer, too, is a real drug addict has terminal cancer and doesn't want to take any pain pills. I witnessed that firsthand. I kept saying, yeah. Mike, do you want something? He was moaning and groaning. And me and Smog said, do you want something? He's like, oh, no, oh. 
that's a little bit too stoic for me. I want it all. I want what, like Maureen, I want to push the button. I say, uh, you know, <laughs> bonk, 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 bonk. You're waiting. Because when you have the button, <laughs> the, the button of morphine I'm describing on my friend Maureen was dying in, in Kaiser Hospital, actually, in Hollywood. And uh, she had the thing. And it is like a thing she said, like, I just like pushing it. I know it only goes every 15 minutes, but she would just push it and push it and like click it like like one of those popper things that we have nowadays, like a uh, anxiety thing. <laughs> like yeah. you, just, you just keep clicking the button. The fidget. Right? So, my my was in Cedars last year. She passed away. We had to pull the plug and et cetera, et cetera. But she was on morphine and I'd never seen it locked up before on top of the thing where the we recall the pole or the bag yeah they have the pole and they have a lock, lock a lock. plastic lock thing around it i know and a thing like like a thing if you if you pull something it's like being at best buy and you try to steal a laptop yeah yeah, yeah. It's a, it, chuck yeah. do you know that so they put the no. morphine drip in up on the regular thing like they used to but then they put this plastic lock box over it so it can't be stolen that's <laughs> probably smart probably smart right yeah why not? Why not? That's that's that going to solve the problem. It reminds me of when my mom when my mom finally took her last breath. I was with her in Huntington Beach on six one six one Gene Drive in Huntington Beach at my sister's house, and so then you know when somebody's dying for weeks and months, everybody's waiting for the call. So then everybody's going to come over, and I in the all the commotion, I just went into the kitchen to get the morphine cough syrup. I was 19 years old, Chuck. I needed that cough syrup in a serious way. My mother had just died. So I I stupidly should have just taken it out of the cupboard and walked it about and put it in my car. But I'm a real addict that we will prove with the genetic test, a DNA forward addiction test when I take it. Uh, I'm a real addict. So I just thought I'll guzzle a shot of it in the kitchen. And just as I did it, my sister walked into the kitchen and went, oh, my God, Bobby. Oh, my God, Bobby. And my other sister, Jane, came running and said, what? And uh, look at him. And they started grabbing it away from me. And I was holding on to it. And then Elijah's been to this house. Then she cried for, you know, I realized, like, because then my brother-in-law comes in the kitchen. And I'm like, oh, my God. And uh, they have it, and she poured it out and turned the water on the sink right in front of me. This whole fucking five-inch-tall bottle of morphine. Can you imagine <laughs> the gall of that, Chuck? I think you that knew at that moment. I don't think you needed the test. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, that's what they've been saying for, well, since whenever, 35 or whatever the whole thing started, is that it's the only, th it's the only disease you can self-diagnose. I had a, I remember I have a really distinct memory when I was about, I, I definitely wanted, I'll, I'll test my kid. We'll see. We'll get it on paper. But I had a moment. Well, it's pri was, it's private and, and no, it's all anonymous because people oh, don't want that on their insurance stuff. Yeah. But anyways, not. of course not. But I just but have a memory of, I was, drinking a, I was drinking a soda at the house in, I think at the Temple House or at the Descanso apartment. I lived with you and Max and my stepmom, Max, was just watching me the way that I held the soda bottle and was drinking. She wasn't saying anything. She was just smiling to herself. And I said, what? And she's like, just some people just got the thing. And I guess the way I was holding the bottle, 
She knew. I was like, no, it's, the arrogance. <laughs> it's also the, the arrogance in your eye. I remember those days many the well. Where I well, drink the like, burrito soda. The way, the way I'm telling you, uh, Chuck, Elijah at 11, the way he would look at us is like, you people are so fucking stupid. It's just like this contempt at 11, Chuck. At 11, my son had contempt. Like, that's oh, not a good sign. Contempt at 11, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit young to get cynical. <laughs> but I yeah, And he yeah, had two of the coolest parents you could ever have in the universe. And he's just like, oh, these people are so fucking lame. Oh, my God. You had that band with Josh Klinghopper that I loved, and you quit it or didn't do it when you had the two bass players and Josh drumming. Well, that was Creeper really something. That Creeper. was really was fun, called? but it was all. The, what I was it called? Trumpet Creeper. Creeper. Trumpet, Trumpet Creeper. Creeper. With Josh on drums. If if, if uh, I'm telling you, Chuck, if Elijah had stuck with Trumpet Creeper, he would have been a rock star at 14 years old. They were, a, they were a great band. They were a great band. It was fun. It was a great to have a formative experience like that with Josh and all those guys. There was one thing that I remember though was that we we got everybody together and we took them to the music studio right at MacArthur Park and the medical complex at MacArthur yeah, Park. Yeah. And then those the guys is, and then those guys they were all from the West Side and Westwood and and Pacific Palisades and their parents found out they had been at MacArthur Park and they were like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> yeah, it was a little it was a little east of MacArthur Park. It was this storefront across this, the street. It was uh, Yoshinoya yeah, right there. No, Yoshinoya was in between. I mean it wasn't in MacArthur Park. But, yeah, uh, but just to go to that neighborhood in the 90s, their parents were like, that, whoa. That um that came about because Josh was still in high school, I think. Or jo no, Josh worked at a record store. I worked as a messenger. And Mark Hutner had a job. And so three of us had jobs. So, But we were making a record for Golden Voice. So Golden Voice rented us that space to go after work to hang out as late as we wanted and not have to pay studio time. Because sometimes we didn't want to get together and sometimes only a couple of us. But the four of us went to that office space. It was on like the 10th floor overlooking MacArthur Park, a dental office building. And we had two offices and it was just beautiful. And we go there every night and wrote those songs and made that bicycle thief record there. And then that's where Trumpet Creeper rehearsed and jammed and played. It was great. It was so good. I have that tape. Mm -hmm. I have our demo. Oh, do you? And then yeah. you were in a band with Frank from the Adolescent Son too. I uh, at Chain they Reaction. Had, you guys they had their band. Reaction. I was I was just like the roadie cheerleader. I recorded the first demo, CTW. What's I it called? Remember, I can't remember what it stood for. CTW. I want. I wanted to stand for change the world. Yeah, yeah, change the world. definitely. <laughs> <laughs> There's Isaiah. Yep. What are you doing, buddy? What he's are you doing? Loud. He's, loud. he's a loud one today. Big. Look at those cheeks. Look at those yeah. eyes. Wiley, Look at the camera, buddy. Look at the camera. Look at the camera. Yep. Yep. Look, at the hello. Look at that chin. Look <laughs> at the bump. You know, now we know. Now we know. Like when Wiley, when when Elijah was working at Golden Voice for years, and I was saying, "Well, just stick with it. You know, you'll get your own uh, stage somewhere." And he's like, "How, Dad? Everybody who works here is in their forties. They're going to be doing it for thirty more years." That is Wiley. Wiley, how long have you been working for Golden Voice? 
Well, AEG bought us like 23 years ago when Coachella. Oh, okay. Well, how long I mean, really like like full time, you know, like worked in the early 90s, but you know, maybe 95 or 96, like working on shows like solely myself in the office. I mean, we all would be you know, cover so stage. been working there for 28 years. Long time. More than that, I'm I'm 34. And you ain't you ain't going anywhere. Like Elijah will be 50 I'll be before you retire. Elijah will be guy, 50 before you retire. I had a guy get disgruntled. He got in a he got in a fight with a good friend, coworker of Wiley's. He's a higher up at the festival. He got in a fight with the guy, and he's like, he's like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm just gonna go do other stuff. And and uh, you know, and I was like, I heard he tried to apologize to you and bring you back on, and he's like. I've lost all respect for the guy and I'm not going to work for him anymore. I was like, that's too bad. Cause he's the king of the shit. Like he's not, he's not going anywhere. He's like, he'll be dead soon. I was like, don't, don't, don't. But you're gonna, rather than just accept his apology, the, wait, wait, wait. you're going to wait. Is that, for him to Wiley, is that the thing that you're just going to work until it, like, you know, the concert business and the music business is so weird. It really is. weird. <laughs> gotta admit it. Like you're a humble guy, Wiley, but you're, I see you. I just, I'm just going to say this. I see you run that stage at fucking Coachella. And I'm just like, that's fucking Wiley runs this whole fucking place. It's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy what you've done with your life, Wiley. So wait, so Wiley's been with, with Mark for 34 years with Mark floor. Cause every day, <laughs> almost every post I see is Wiley, Wiley parks posts a picture of Mark floor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mark, like, floor. <laughs> Mark floor. No, when you I know, take I photos, uh, photos of rigging or trust the, the photo, like Mark floor in the morning. The first thing you do when you load a show in is you mark the floor for all the rigging. So that's why I always put Mark floor. <laughs> I'm changing my name to Mark Floor just so I can get on every guest Dude, list. You were a little kid hanging out at a bar when you shouldn't have, and now you're the floor marker. Right. Of all time, you mark, like you go, you go. The first thing you do is you go in the like you go in the staples. You mark the floor for all the rigging. You rig it all. You bring it up. You roll the stage in its place or Greek. You, know, you mark the floor where all the trusses are going to go. What area? What part of the stage you're going on? What kind of steel is going to go up? And it's like a ripper tick. It's like uh, just to take a picture. You know, so. <laughs> it's cool. What, I like. What, I like it. Mark you floor. know that. You know. Uh, uh, it, it's just it's just crazy if chuck if you knew if you could see i don't know if you've been there at sahara tent but when you see wiley in all his glory like no i've a, never done a coachella it's a it's a oh my god you gotta go it's a it's a it always makes me smile like he's always so great to my kids and um so i'll tell this funny story so I'm going, I have this TV thing that I'm working on and I need to meet, um, uh, Ryan Bingham, Bingham, right. He's playing at Stagecoach, Right. And, but I don't really know what he looks like. So me and Sid are there. And my intention is to go, uh, I want to like introduce myself to Ryan Bingham because I want him to be a part of this TV show. I'm trying to develop with, with Yellowstone or whatever. So I go there. Me and Sid wait for a golf cart because it's more spread out stagecoach. It's like a way longer walk to get where Wiley is. And so we go over to Wiley's area and we're on this golf cart with this other couple, right? And then we 
go to the Wiley stage and we walk in there and it's really hot. And so Wiley's thing is air conditioned. We're hanging out with the dog and the couple is there. Um, and we're just hanging out with Wiley's dog, Kobe, and staying in the air conditioned area. Right. And Wiley gets Sid food and whatever. And it's just another great, the way Wiley treats my family is just great. So then, you know, it's time to go see Ryan Bingham. And we go walk on the audience. And it's the guy we rode on the golf cart with. It's the guy we <laughs> rode up with Kobe with. It's the fucking guy that we've been next to the whole time. And I only went to stagecoach to introduce myself to him. So then I'm like, and he even said he's six years old. She goes, isn't that the guy we rode on the golf cart with? And I said, yeah. I'll do one better, Sid. That's the guy with Kobe. I don't know if you remember this, Wiley, but Ryan Bingham was hanging in your trailer because it was air conditioned. And uh, so then I'm trying to angle after the show to go meet him, but we can't get to him because we don't have the right pass. I went to stagecoach. <laughs> it was 120 degrees. I rode with the guy I was looking for. This is a lack of preparation, Chuck. I should have yeah. had a picture of him in my boat. There's this thing called the Google. And if you <laughs> put in his name, it comes up with pictures. <laughs> you probably had a phone in your pocket that you could have Googled him just to have an idea. I, I do it all the time, Bob. Like I, if I haven't met someone before, I look their picture up. If it's an, if I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give away one of my secrets. If it's an agent manager, I haven't done business with them, don't know who they are. I always find out what they look like. So when I walk up to them, I say, "Hey, Bob, nice to meet you. Good to see you again." That's a show business <laughs> trick that I didn't learn many yeah. years ago, obviously. So you got, you know, I, I don't know some of these, you know, it's it's weird now at Stagecoach, there's a lot of new up-and-coming artists, like all the artists that played years ago, Merle Haggard, George Jones. Jimmy you know Lewis. what they look like. Yeah, you know what they dead. look like. You know, they're all dead. There's not, there's not me. So it's all this new, new stuff. So it's really... It's really interesting. A lot of it's, you know. I'm telling you, Chuck, there are people. There's a kid named Morgan Wallen that's playing this yeah. year, actually. If he was if he was at the Laverne Vons, no one would know who he was. He is probably the second biggest musical artist in America besides Taylor Swift. And he's just like a normal looking guy. just like baseball cap and jeans and a T-shirt. I mean, well, the country old... music. That's why the country singers had all that. What? the country singers had those big outfits to be able to spot them. Yeah, they need the nudie outfits so you can spot them, Chuck. And they have their name. I remember Wiley. <laughs> I was with you. I was working with you when I met George Jones when he yeah. played at Stagecoach. We were together, and uh, he had his. He, I think, he was the only artist I've ever seen out there on that stage. Where he pulled his RV with his name all across the side of it, right up to his grave. <laughs> yeah, it's good. And we put a there dock plate thing, right Chuck, at his RV they door. They used to have their names on the on the buses too, and they don't do that anymore. Pull right the up Oak to the Ridge stage. Boys, what's the? Is it the Oak Ridge Boys that do Seven Nation Army? Oh no, Kentucky Headhunters. Kentucky Headhunters were playing stagecoach, and I'm standing there. And Wiley, you came up to me and said, hey, those, those, those guys want to meet you and because of celebrity rehab. So I went on this Kentucky Headhunters bus, met all the guys, and uh, they were so gracious. And they asked me questions about celebrity rehab. And it was just so funny. And you knew it was the Kentucky Headhunters 
Because it said their fucking name on the bus, Chuck. Why is <laughs> yeah. Brian Bingham riding on a, a, a VIP golf cart without his name on something? Why isn't he wearing why isn't he wearing a Ryan Bingham shirt? <laughs> With a picture of himself on it and his name. A lot of those country acts, they do now like the old 70s. They all wear like collared shirts or shirts that say Ryan Bingham on it. it it's 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 like it's great. Now the old 70s, you'd have that that golf shirt with the logo on it. And a lot of yeah. artists come uniformed up like that. I don't know. Yeah. Have you guys have you guys heard Ryan Bingham? He's really good. He's yeah. really I like him a lot. Yeah, he's really but good. But I Jim couldn't Ryan. get I couldn't get to him. Chuck, I couldn't get to him. So the whole project <laughs> fell apart. <laughs> yes, you you misspoke. You could get to him. You got <laughs> to him, but you failed. You found him. I, him, him, out with I him. talked to him in Wiley's trailer for like 20 minutes about nothing. <laughs> About how hot it was. That was, was, that was it was over a hundred that day. Those days, yeah, it was, it was fucking hot, oh, man. Jesus, and it's coming up soon. Three months, almost on record. You know, both we have to look at the Farmers Almanac to see what the weather's going to be. You know, right, Farmers Almanac. All right, you guys, we've been on for a yeah, while. Yeah, we gotta get. On, I gotta get January twenty first at the Observatory, three o'clock to seven o'clock. If you want to see the last performance of Thelonious Monster ever, if you want to pay tribute to Mike Mart. If you want to see Tex and the Horseheads like you've <laughs> never seen them before, if you want to see Baby Isaiah, if you want to see my kids, come on down to the observatory October 21st. You, you, are you going to be January 21st. I got this thing October. What? You better bring a pair of headphones for your, your child there. Uh... I never wear They oh, gotta got to get used to it. They got to get oh, oh, no. Well, I found out it's I found out it's illegal. It. It's illegal to not have sound blockers for the toddlers. No. Oh really? Yep. Yeah. Another oh, yeah. another of the great laws from the great state of but California. You know, <laughs> headphones, <laughs> noise count. The the, the headphones the are blockers, good if you want yeah. you, if you if you want your kids to have hearing when they grow up. It's great for. I mean, for hey, I had no I had no sound protection, and I'm doing okay. And 20 yeah. years of rock and roll and you, noise you think. And all this. I don't know. You no, think. I have, I have, here's the thing. I have that thing that everybody complains about. My friend Dave Perner from Soul Sound complained about it all the time. He's got tinnitus, tinnitus, tinnitus. He had the drums covered with a plastic thing or whatever. I have it. Pretty, if I was going to, on a one to 10 scale, I'd say I probably have it like at a six or a seven. So what? It sounds like the ocean. Big deal. Stop whining, everybody. You know what? You know what? Ear damage is fantastic. Knock no, yourself no. out. As I'm a matter of fact, put your head I'm against saying, the speaker. Here's one of the positives of it. When it's completely silent, like it's 940 now, about midnight around here, it'll get deathly silent because there's no cars. We don't live around anything. Everybody will be asleep. Everything will be over. And it's be silent. I will hear the ocean in my ears, Chuck, and it's quite a pleasant thing. Good God. Putting your ear in a seashell, right? It's like, yeah. Yeah. Mine's like Daft Punk in my ears. Yeah, my right, my right ear is way worse. And I know, you want to know why that is? Because on stage, I would always turn to my right because that's where Mike Mart was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Aww. And I'll get a blast of him yeah. and Dix's I'll, amps I'll in wanna, my right ear. I want to wish Mike happy anniversary on Christmas Day that just passed. Yeah. Um, you know, and he stayed know. sober. I watched it. It was astonishing. I mean, me and Smog, I, I'll just leave you with this. 
Me and Smog were really kind of pushing him to want something, and he was like, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. So I saw somebody die sober, and it was yep. Mike Martin. All right, you guys, good night. We'll see you coming up in a couple weeks. What is it? It's like in 10 days. Couple weeks. Should we rehearse, Elijah? I don't know. I was, uh, I I was trying to arrange one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just right. make sure to go through the song. Love you guys. Okay. Hey, good night, good night guys. Good night, everybody. Good to see you, Wiley. Love you, Kobe. Bye, bye. Love good night, Isaiah. Night, night, baby.